Welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and I'm joined by... Selena Koch, Executive Editor. Steve Austin, Washington Editor. Selena, it's very timely to have you on as you're the one that's been following all of the Alzheimer's news for us over the past couple of years. Today, we learned that FDA will host an advisory committee meeting November 6th to discuss aducanumab from Biogen for Alzheimer's. Biogen faces the March 7th decision date for the therapy, which offers the possibility of being the first disease-modifying drug for Alzheimer's. It's by no means a slam dunk. Selena, what are your thoughts? Investors are clearly watching it carefully. Every little sign of news seems to change Biogen's market cap by billions. This morning, it's added $2 billion on the news that it could get to a decision sooner than expected, that having the ad come in early November could translate into an earlier decision than the expected March 7. Back in April, when they said that they were going to be delayed in their submission of their BLA, they lost, I think, $5 billion in market cap. So everybody's watching it really closely. It's a huge indication. I think in the United States alone, there's something like 6 million patients. So the market is huge. But even if it got approved, it's not that a couple of extra months is not going to translate into $2 billion in revenue. It could certainly take some time for sales to ramp up, given that it's an infused drug. And a lot of these places where patients are treated don't have infusion centers. This remains to be seen, but it may require a pet positive PET scan for amyloid. That's currently not covered by Medicare. This is almost entirely a Medicare population. I think the stop move is more like people just looking for any indication of whether this could be a positive result, right? Yeah. And that's the thing that's... The, the thing that I wonder is, even if it is a positive result, even if they do get approved, mm -hmm. it, is it really even certain that huge market will jump right in and start lining up to get in quarterly infusions? I think that there are market access issues. Like I was saying before, not everybody's going to have access to an infusion center. They might have to drive. Not everybody's going to have the means to get the PET scan to see if they have amyloid, to see if they qualify, if should that be a criteria. There aren't good treatments for this disease. I think patients will certainly want to try it if they can, if you just look at the alternatives. But it's very uncertain. They had two phase three trials. One was a failure utterly. <laughs> the other one produced these positive results and everybody is scratching their head. What does that mean? The company has their story about how a protocol amendment that differentially affected the trials meant that more patients got the high dose and it's really this high dose. That's the thing that patients need. We'll see if FDA agrees. Going into the year, it was certainly the biggest milestone on BuySiders' radar. And then a little global pandemic shook some things up. And now uh, right. we're obviously very closely watching the vaccine race for COVID-19. We had another big milestone last week when we got the first phase two data for an anti-tau monoclonal antibody when AC Immune and Genentech said that their MAB missed the primary and two secondary endpoints in their phase two trial to treat uh, very early stage Alzheimer's. What does this mean for Alzheimer's drug development, Selena? Yeah, I think it means, at least you can say, tau is now starting to look a little more like amyloid. Companies, there's two major pathologies that define Alzheimer's. One is amyloid aggregation, the other is tau aggregation. And there's been so much trouble with amyloid. Now you see all the major players who are in amyloid are now lining up behind tau as the next big target. And the storyline has been 
amyloid is this initial, initial insult, but this disease takes decades to develop. You may not be able to treat early enough to get a meaningful improvement for patients with amyloid, but tau, tau correlates spatially in the brain and temporally much better with symptom onset. Therefore, tau is going to be the thing that really breaks through. We've now seen in the Alzheimer's setting a tau antibody failing to improve cognition or slow down the decay of cognition. And in um, a different disease, two other anti-tau MABs, progressive supranuclear palsy, had failed before. The one was from Biogen, one was from Abby. They're both still in testing in the Alzheimer's indication, but there's at least nine therapies that have made it to the clinic against tau and many more in preclinical pipelines. So what we could be looking at is parallels to amyloid in terms of the number of companies who want to give it a go the difficulty of finding the right disease stage patient population, so on and so forth, that sets us up for years and years of failed trials where we don't quite know why they failed. I should say the biomarker data yet from AC Immune and Roche's compound are not available. So we don't know, did it move the biomarkers? Did it actually test its hypothesis? That remains to be seen. When do we expect to see those biomarkers? We don't know for sure. Genentech just said that they're going to report on it at an upcoming medical conference. So that could be later on this year. I think there's a couple of possibilities in November. That'll be uh, certainly something that we'll be watching for. Well, let's shift gears to the other big thing we're watching for. Steve, you had a chance to sit down with Monsef Slawi last week. He, of course, is the chief scientific advisor to Operation Warp Speed and one of the most respected and biggest names in vaccine development. For years, he headed up GSK's vaccines division. Recently, he's come under fire from Elizabeth Warren, who's accused him of a lack of transparency, perhaps. Steve, what did you learn in your conversation with Monsef? You know, these days we don't actually sit down with people. I talk to him over Zoom. Like, Sorry, I'm an old uh, (laughs) fuddy-duddy. I miss the old days. So do I. I would have liked to sit down with him. Anyway, as you say, he's the co-leader of Operation Warp Speed. And to me, actually, the most important thing that he told me was that he expects two vaccines and two drugs that reduce mortality to be authorized by the end of the year or at the latest that it could slip until early 2021. That to me is the most important thing. He's the person who I think is the best placed probably in the entire world to know what the status of the vaccine and drug development is. And that was his opinion. He also addressed Senator Warren's accusations. And she didn't say too delicately. She didn't accuse him of a lack of transparency. She flat out said he's corrupt and he's motivated by greed. And He's pissed off by that. I thought it was important to hear from him and to give him a chance basically to defend his integrity and the integrity of the vaccine development process. And I would encourage anybody who's interested in it to read the interview that I did. We've got the interview, the Q&A verbatim in BioCentury, and it's in front of the paywall, and they can form their own opinion. I saw his statement that he issued. It's all over Twitter. He looks like he's getting ready for a boxing match going going (laughs) into that. So Steve, before that all blew up late in the week, earlier in the week, we saw top officials from NIH, FDA, and CDC head to the Hill to discuss countermeasures development. And they really seem to go out there to set expectations for countermeasures development and build confidence in 
the vaccines that are being developed. So really, it was an amazing spectacle. It was on the 23rd. FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn, CDC Director Robert Redfield, and Tony Fauci spent hours on the Hill trying to convince the Senate Committee and the American people, and, and maybe themselves, that any decisions that are made about COVID vaccines will be made by non-political career staff based on science and the law. Then a few hours later, President Trump said he's the one who'd be making final decisions about FDA vaccine guidance, and he accused FDA staff of intentionally delaying vaccine authorization to help Joe Biden win the election. It was really, it was a gut punch to the agency's staff. They've been working 24-7 for months on this. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows went on the talk shows on Sunday, said that he'd spoken with Han about the guidance and his concerns that FDA was unnecessarily delaying vaccine authorization decisions. The thing is that guidance doesn't actually create any new obligations. A guidance can't create a legal obligation. All it does is it makes public the criteria that FDA has already been communicating to companies behind closed doors. I think the kind of the bottom line on the whole thing is the incident further damages FDA's credibility, and it's going to make more Americans hesitant to take a vaccine once one is authorized. Even if the White House suppresses the guidance, it's not going to speed the authorization. In fact, it's more likely to slow it because there'll be less clarity about what FDA's criteria are, and there'll be more, more reluctance by the FDA to be acting quickly because they know that it's important that anything that they do isn't tainted by political interference and isn't seen to be tainted by political interference. That seems absurd to talk about this being uh, a process that slowed down. What's the fastest the vaccine's ever been approved before? I think it's about 13 years. Now we're looking at something that's going to be likely be authorized in less than a year after they started. It's happening at a phenomenal speed. And to be honest, I think it it's amazing that the administration would choose to attack FDA and the integrity of the FDA and complain that this hasn't been happening fast enough because this is something that actually that the administration should be taking pride in. They should be boasting about this. It really has happened this quickly exactly because of Operation Warp Speed. That's one of the things I asked uh, Monsef Slawi, I said, what would have happened in the absence of Operation Warp Speed? And he went through a couple of the clinical trials that are in phase three now, and he said one of them would have been in phase one now in the absence of Warp Speed. And the other one, uh, the phase one trial wouldn't have even started yet. And then when it comes to manufacturing, they're expecting to have hundreds of millions of doses available by the middle of next year. And he basically said that there wouldn't have been any, or there's a good chance there wouldn't have been any available in the absence of Operation Warp Speed and the, the U.S. government stepping in and investing in manufacturing and paying for manufacturing at risk. It's a phenomenal story. And instead of telling that to the American public, the president and the White House has chosen to spin a narrative of a deep state conspiracy by FDA officials to, to slow down the process. Yeah, it, it really is absurd. It's easily been one of the biggest successes of this administration. And why not celebrate that success? The other thing that's interesting is it, it's not a political event, and it shouldn't be. One of the things that Monsef Slawi said to me, he said, look, I'm a registered Democrat. That's what he said. And that he's not there to try to bolster the president's chances of being reelected or, or to take any kind of political stance on this. He's trying to get this thing done as quickly as possible. I think, again, you know, anybody can read what he said and come to their own decisions about whether he's the right person for the job, whether the allegations of conflict of interest are justified or not. But the fact is, he is the one who's in the job, and the results are going to speak for themselves. Yep.
Certainly would be a, a nice note to end the year on if we had a COVID vaccine and an Alzheimer's therapy out there. Fingers crossed. Uh, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks, Selena and Steve, for joining me. Before we go, I just wanted to let you know about our seventh annual BioCentury Bay Helix China Healthcare Summit. Registrations now open for this digital event, which will run from November 9th to 13th. It will include strategic panels, one-on-one -on -one virtual meetings, company presentations, two conference reports from our partners at McKinsey. Register today and you'll get immediate access to our pre-event program, including BioCentury Business Intelligence on China Biotech, Scene Setter presentations on China financings, and deals. We'll also have four pre-event webinars starting next month. All of BioCentury's podcasts are available at our website, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. Music for all of our podcasts is provided by Kendall Square Orchestra, which connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education.